Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. First Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first. And then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men despised the offering of the Lord. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to Israel. And how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see 
the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. Everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, Please, assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a few things I want to pull out of this passage. Um, We're moving from Hannah being the main focus into uh, Samuel being the main focus. And it is now the working out of her prophetic vision, right? It's the working out of that song she sang, that that song of thanksgiving. And so we see uh, the mighty being brought low and we see the little and the weak being brought up. In a nutshell, verse 11, we see that that Samuel is now serving the Lord. He's ministering to the Lord before Eli, the priest. And so um, he's he's at work. He's being mentored of by all people, Eli. Right. Samuel is under the charge of Eli and the rest of this passage is spent looking into the failures of Eli to be a father to his own sons, right? So in a sense, we've moved from motherhood also to speaking of fatherhood. We're now, um, and we get a bad example, and and often uh, bad examples are easier to learn from than good examples are to learn from. And so we um, we see this bad father here. Now, what is it about Eli's sons that is, is scandalous? What is it? That's, that's the sort of summary, right? They despise the Lord's offering. They don't, they don't take seriously what God in his word takes very seriously. Right, regulating, making sure it's done in the proper proper order, making sure that the priests do it in such a way that it might have, it might bless the people and be symbolic to them. And here they are, just just seeing it as what, seeing the offering of the Lord as what, barbecue. That's exactly right. And they don't want. I mean, who wants to eat boiled meat? Nah. You want to eat you know, meat cooked over fire, roasted meat, right? Yeah, that's what I'm, I mean, Corey's vigorously shaking his head in the back. But think back to Hannah's song. Think back where she, she sang, boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. 
That is what we see in this passage. Actions are weighed. These actions of the sons of Eli lead to what? Lead to them being annihilated by God. Right? That's what it leads to. <clears throat> it says very directly of the sons of Eli that they are what kind of men? Worthless. What, what literally, I think, in the Hebrew, it's good for nothing, right? Just not, they're scoundrels, right? You, the, the sort of guys you would not trust even the simplest of tasks to. You wouldn't give them any responsibilities because they're going to take it and bend it toward their own ends, right? So they are good for nothing. What else? What's astonishing about the next statement that it says about them? No, we haven't gotten there, but that's... They don't know the Lord, and they're what? The sons of a priest and priests themselves. Right? They don't know the Lord, and they're assigned to lead the sacrifices of the people of God. They're assigned to lead the worship of the Lord. They don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. And that clearly is reflected in what? What they do, their actions. It's clearly reflected in their actions. Now, it also says this. It says that they did not know the Lord and something else. What is the next phrase? They didn't know their own duty. Now that's a failure of whom? That's a failure of Eli. Eli should have been teaching them the custom of the priest, handing it on, training them up for the work. He's not doing that. They don't even know the customs that they're supposed to be following, and that gets them in trouble. Now, they're ignorant of their duty as priests. And I have a question for you. Who do priests serve? Who do priests serve? It's a trick question. There are two answers you're thinking of. One's right, one's right. And the other's wrong. Wait. <laughs> okay. Right. They serve the people. They, that, that is the result of their actions. The people come to them, right? They're, they're offering the sacrifices. They're acting as this, this, um, this help in those worship. But who do the, the priests serve? They're consecrated to the Lord, so they serve whom? They serve the Lord. They serve God. That's whom they serve. If we went back to Exodus, where you read about the duty of the priests, it keeps coming back to this phrase, that, they, that he, the priest, may minister to me. Right? God keeps saying that the priests are going to be put in place to minister to me. Not for me, to me. So they're there in the temple serving whom? They're there in the tabernacle serving whom? God. They're serving God. Okay? Exodus 28, 1 through 3 outlines that. Exodus 29, 1. Consecrate them to minister as priests to me. 
right? In Exodus 40, verse 13, that he may minister as a priest to me. And so who is it, who is it that the priests are to serve? They're to serve the Lord. If it is not this way, who do they serve? Themselves. If it is not that the priests are serving the Lord, they are serving themselves. Those are the two choices. It's not serve the Lord or serve the people. It's serve the Lord or serve the self. Okay? And so, uh, so think of that just for a moment, that priests are to minister to serve God on behalf of men. They're to serve God on behalf of men, not to serve men on behalf of God. That gets things the wrong way. They're to serve God for the good of man, not to serve man for for God's blessing or for God's benefit. They serve God and it blesses men. Um, Hebrews 5 says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men, in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So clearly the priests are serving to the benefit of the people, but whom is it that they serve? They serve God. Okay? Eli's sons are not doing that. They're they're serving themselves in such a, a disgusting way. Right? But the best priest would have been the one who served God to the benefit of the people. He would have feared God. He would have served God. He would have been scrupulous about what God demanded of him. He would have only gone by that route to offer the sacrifices. And that's what he would have done. His whole, his whole mentality would have been focused around serving God whom he fears. Okay, Such is the same for pastors today. You want a pastor who serves God for the benefit of the people. If you get a pastor who serves the people for the benefit of God, then you will get a pastor who has things a bit out of order. Right? God has placed in his church those who minister the word. Right? So there are benefits to the people. But whom is it that I serve? Whom am I serving in this pulpit? God, to your benefit. I mean, it... It, it's scary, right? It's scary to say that. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Praise God for Jesus Christ. But the best priest was the one who served God to the benefit of the people. The best spouse is that way, right? The best spouse is the one who serves God in that marriage to the benefit of the spouse, not the one who serves the spouse so that they have the opportunity to, you know, make God happy. No, no, you owe everything to God and your spouse is not just a means to an end of you pleasing the Lord. No, the best marriage is one where they're both serving Jesus Christ, right? And then the benefits spill out to one another. That's the same, the best boss, the best employee, the best um, pastor, the best civil magistrate is the one who has, I serve the Lord. I do all things as unto you for the benefit of God. Others to the benefit? No, to God. It's the Lord that we serve. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, 
Think of that. As for the Lord, rather than for men. Apply that passage to your marriage. What would be, how would you serve your wife knowing that it is service to God that benefits your wife? Knowing it's doing what he requires that she will be blessed by. It changes things, doesn't it? That perspective changes things. Um, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Praise God. So every different station that the Lord puts us in is another opportunity to serve Jesus, to work for him, right? To minister to him, to serve him. Such is, excuse me, such is the end of all authority. Eli's sons, they, they show us the worst of the worst. Not only do they not serve God, they don't know him and all of their actions begin to afflict the people. Right? That is what happens when you begin to serve yourself. You begin to uh, afflict others around you. Serve yourself in your marriage and see how pleasant it is for your spouse. Right? It's misery. It's misery for the other. It's misery for, the, for yourself as well. And it says in verse 17 that Eli's sons despised the offering of the Lord. They did not like what the Lord required and went their own way. That's what happened. They were ignorant of it. They did not want to learn. They did not want to look to good examples. They didn't want to, to do anything that might, might be to the Lord because all they had in mind was their self. And what did they do? What's, what stands out to you in what they did with the offering? And you should be thinking about bacon. The fat. They took the fat. What is significant about that? The fat belongs to the Lord, right? The fat belongs to the Lord. That is to be burned up to him as a a wonderful, beautiful aroma, right? But, But the refrain in the sacrifices talks about the fat belongs to the Lord, right? The whole, we know the whole sacrifice does, but indeed it states that the fat is particularly the Lord's. And what did those guys want? What did they take? What did they remove from the sacrifices? They took what belonged to the Lord, which happened to be the fat bag, right? The bacon. And that is their very great sin. That is their very great sin despising the holy things of God, despising those things that belong to the Lord. Leviticus 3.16 is the verse. All fat is the Lord's. All fat is the Lord's. So, think of that. Now, there's another sin that they are committing, and what is that? Fornication. Sleeping with the women who served at the doorway of the tabernacle. Violating both the holiness of the tabernacle and violating the, 
the, the purity of the virgins who served at the doorway of the tabernacle. So nothing is holy to these men. Nothing at all is holy to this, not, not place, not person, not sacrifice, not worship, not even God himself is holy, right? They just disregard it. They disregard the law and live according to what? Their own appetites, their own pleasures. And so that's 12 through 17. What about Samuel? That's the context Samuel's in. Don't forget that. He's in in the tabernacle. He's with Eli. He's next to Hophni and Phinehas. This is what he is witnessing. Samuel is. But what do we learn about Samuel? Samuel was serving before the Lord. Again, it states it again. He was ministering before the Lord. He's wearing a linen ephod, which is, is a little bit strange, right? Because what is it about the ephod? Who's supposed to wear the ephod? The priest is supposed to wear the ephod, and yet Samuel is not a priest. He's of the line of Levi. He's a Levite, so he's close. He's not of the line of Aaron. So he's sort of a quasi-priest. He does a lot of priestly things throughout this book. God is certainly using him in that way. And I think particularly using him in that way to point out the failures of the line of Aaron. To point out the failures here, he's bringing in a Levite. And so, um, so we see much that's priestly about him. And certainly this wearing of a linen ephod would point to a priestly role. And what does his sweet mother do? She brought him a little robe every year when they came up to do the yearly sacrifices. This is Sarah's favorite verse in the Bible. Sweet Hannah is caring for Samuel as she could. And and not just as she could, but as a mother would. With that tenderness of of bringing him a gift. A little robe, it says. Bring it to him year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And to be reminded of Eli and his sons. And to leave her son behind. Right? The sexual immorality, the light treatment of holy things. That's the context. Eli blessed her. And look at that. She had a quiver full. Psalm 127. Right? The boy Samuel... It says here, grew before the Lord. And so we know that, look, there are times when God does the strange work of not working by natural means, right? But by supernatural means and and the, the, the sins of the father are visited upon the children. But in this case, Samuel is spared the sin of his father, Eli, right? His his adopted father. And so he is, he is blessed by the Lord for a purpose, and that purpose is God is about to change the direction of Israel. Verse 22 to 25 now. Eli was very old, which is a, an interesting thing to point out. He's old, and then it says he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel. He heard. He heard what his sons were doing. What is, 
I mean, it seems that, that Scripture is pointing out the fact that he did not see what his sons were doing, but he heard what his sons were doing. Why did he not see? Why, why was he, um, why did he, does it seem he had to be told about what they were doing? If he were ministering in the temple tabernacle himself, he would have, he would have certainly seen this. It says, now Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, why? And then he talks to them. Why did he not see? I wrote down in my notes. He needed the elders of the church to come to him and say, we'd like to talk. He needed some authority to come to him and say, look, you don't see what's going on here? Are you kidding me? Well, he had the people of Israel doing that to him. Um, If you are not around your children, fathers, but only know them because of what others have told you, have said to you, um, then open your eyes, get more time with your children. You need, to, you need to know your own children so that you may address their troubles and their aches and their loneliness and their sadness and their sins directly. Right? Open your eyes, get more time with them, observe so that you may correct specifically, not generically, right? like cosmically every time. You should not sin, son. That's not helpful. Right? Stop sinning. That is, there are times to say that. But that is not, you can, that's not all you can say. You have to lead your children through, by the hand through discipline. Um, look down at verse 13 of chapter 3. We learn... What kind of a father Eli is there? For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and what? He did not rebuke them. We're going to see that this is a factor in the life of David as well. King David neglected his own children to their downfall. King David, the man after God's own heart, neglected his children to the point where they were a scourge to the people of Israel and to one another. But here we learn that Eli did not rebuke his sons. And it's not like this is is like commending this, right? It's not like it's coming and saying, look, he, he didn't spank. It was a good thing. He was a gentle father, right? He, he, no, it's, it's saying... I'm about to curse his house because he didn't do this, and his sons are about to die. Right? He did not rebuke his sons. He would not rebuke his sons. Doesn't it seem back back when we go to what he said now, look in 23, he said to them, why do you do such things? And I tried to read it with just this sort of weak man's voice. Right? Why do you do these things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my son. For the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. What does it seem as if he's saying there? Or 
what does it lead you to, to think about why this bothers Eli? What does it mention twice? The what? The other people. Right? It seems that he's, he's just embarrassed. Right? He's embarrassed. Why do you do such things? The evil people. I hear from all these people. All these people. Right? No, my sons, the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. Right? He's like, he's like it's, it's getting out there. My house is a wreck, but I'm fine with my house being a wreck just so people don't know my house is a wreck. That's what he's doing here. He, he's, he seems more concerned about appearances as he approaches his sons than... And, and about word getting out to God's people. And that is why he, he decides now to go to his sons. Because word's getting out and he's embarrassed by it. Why should he have gone to his sons? Because he serves the Lord as their father. And he should have feared God. And he should have said to them, you need to repent. This wickedness is an affliction upon the people. And it's going to lead to your death. And, and where is your fear of the Lord? Sons, why don't you fear God? Well, he hasn't given them an example of that. Is it for appearances that you discipline your children? I know that's often the case for me, especially when they throw a tantrum in the middle of a, of a public place. You're swift to act when that happens, right? You're just in there and you're like, no, you're not going to, right? And you take care of it. Why? Because not because you're concerned about their soul or you want them to reform and repent. You're embarrassed. I'm embarrassed, Right? That's when I'm swift to get to it. But if it's in my house, man, my kids can get away with anything. I'm not embarrassed. There's nothing to be seen here. It's all under wraps. But but there, there are three that know in that situation. There's the Lord who knows your neglect in your home. There's you and there's your children. Right? And they... They, they will turn out like Hophni and Phineas if they're not disciplined in the home. Appearances is often why people momentarily discipline their children, right? But what is the point of discipline? The point is the fear of the Lord and to point to what? It's the fear of the Lord and point to the fact that your children need Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, right? It is to to discipline, but it's also to say, you've got this problem with sin, don't you? I'm strapped with it too. And you know what's, what's going to, the only thing that can deal with that, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we discipline our children. One, so that they may reform and repent, but two, so that they might know they're a sinner and look to Jesus Christ. Do you think about that when you discipline your children, right? That they need to know Jesus. And so part of it is to say, isn't this awful? 
It's not to get like, I can't believe you did this. You've done the same thing. Come on. Okay, it's not to get breathless about it. But it's to say, look, you inherited Adam's sin like I did. It's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. You need Jesus. That's why we address sin in the home. That's why we discipline, because we want our children to know they need Jesus, to know that they are sinners, but that there is, there is redemption with the Lord. We discipline because God is holy and because he is gracious, right? Now, there's this talk in the passage. One other thing here. There's this talk in the past, or uh, Eli says it, right? He says, if a man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And what is, what is, Eli, what is Eli getting at here? Right, a, a sin against another person, some other authority can easily step in and mediate between those two. But what mediator is there between God and man? Right? Who can, who can work things out that way? Well, um, only God can step in in that case. Only Jesus Christ can step in and mediate at that point. Sins against the Lord. You remember what David says in Psalm 51, Against you, O Lord, I have sinned. You alone I have sinned against. So he sees all of his sins, even against other men, as sins against the Lord. Sins that have earned him death, for which he needs to substitute to die for him. They did not repent. Why? Those sons of Eli didn't repent. Why? Because God wanted to kill them. God wanted to put them to death. I think we would call this being given over to sin. Right? They are given over to the sin. They have profaned over and over and over again. They have had many days for which repentance was available to them. They have seared their conscience against it. This is this, is this Romans 1 being handed over to sin. right? Like Pharaoh who is handed over to his sin. Let me read from um, another preacher on this and what he says. It's helpful to us. It's easy to read it too hastily as if it said that Hophni and Phinehas did not listen to Eli and consequently Yahweh decided to put them to death. But the text does not say that. It says Eli's sons did not listen to him because God had decided to put them to death. Hophni uh, and Phinehas' resistance was not the rationale for Yahweh's judgment, but the result of his judgment. A perfectly just judgment. We cannot divorce verse 25 from the previous account of their impudence and immorality. Someone can remain so firm in his rebellion that God will confirm him in it. So much so that he will remain utterly deaf to and unmoved by any warnings of judgment or any pleas for repentance. Be careful of your response to such teaching. Some of you may become Yahweh's prosecutors, alleging he is deficient in mercy. That's not fair. 
Others may be intellectually anxious about the mechanics of hardening. At what precise point in sin's progress does it become impossible to repent? Right? You become mechanistic. He says both the critic and the curious are wrong. Our place is not to question or to comprehend, but to tremble before a God who can justly make sinners deaf to the very call of repentance. God can make people deaf to the call of repentance. That is what this passage teaches us. Yes, the word of God says that God desires that all might come to a knowledge of him, that all might come to repentance. But, Hophni and Phinehas were put to death because they had sinned and because God desired. They would not repent because God desired to put them to death. That was Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary. Very helpful. Verse 26. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. Almost the exact same thing is said of Jesus. And and Samuel certainly is a type of Christ. Luke 2.52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That is what God does with those he he determines to um, use in his kingdom. He makes them grow in favor with himself and with men. The result is that a man of God now comes to Eli and speaks to him. Remember, God is rebuilding. He's raising up the horns of the righteous and he's bringing down the wicked. He's raising the horns of Samuel. He's bringing down the wicked. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Remember those words, children. Remember that. For those who honor me, I will honor. Think of that. God will honor you if you honor him. But if you don't, God's going to think lightly of you. Just like he did of Hophni and Phinehas. Think of that in terms of the gift of grace in his son. Right? Think of that. A man's thoughts regarding Jesus Christ determine his honor. A man's thoughts about Jesus Christ determine his honor. And the great day of judgment will be the public declaration of that honor. Right? Those who honored Christ by faith, by bowing the knees and worshiping him, will be honored, welcomed into the presence of God and given a well-done, good and faithful servant. Right? But those who lightly esteem Jesus, who would not bow the knee, will be dashed with, with a sword, right? Crushed. And so God is raising up a faithful priest now. Um, there's, a, there's a priest that's mentioned at the end of this, but I will raise for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is my heart. Some say that Samuel. I don't think it is. If we look down the road, we learn that the house of Eli eventually comes to an end. Solomon cuts off the house of Eli and says, no, you're no longer my priests. And so there are no longer any old men that this prophecy is fulfilled. And in his place, Zadok is raised, is, is put into the priesthood. So I think this is, is looking forward to that time, how many, you know, years ahead, a few generations ahead, right? So... Um, God is raising up that faithful priest for his service. 
And that's where it ends off. But again, this is, we go from motherhood to fatherhood. We go from to, to scrutinizing these sons. We see the contrast with Samuel. And what does it just keep saying, children, about Samuel? What did he do? What did he do? He ministered to the Lord. He served the Lord. Very simple. That's your calling in life. Serve the Lord. I don't care if you become a banker or a baseball player. But you got to, well, I'd choose baseball player in that, but no. But you, you are called to serve the Lord, right? Say amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is good. It is, it is, it opens our eyes. It unstops our ears. It is, it is uh, good for us. And Lord, we pray that it would sink into us, that we would not be those who merely hear tonight, but that we would be those who go away and do to the glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.